Hello out there. Welcome to the first episode of the Look Around You Public Health Matters podcast. My name is Andrew Morris. We're coming at you from the Master of Public Health program at the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine uh, here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. I'm joined today by one of our students, Ibrahim. Uh, could you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Ibrahim al I'm a final semester student at Case Western pursuing public health, and I'm currently working on the Minority Men Research Project with the Cleveland Clinic that focus on providing resources to the vulnerable communities. Great. Thank you, Ibrahim. Our main guest today is Dr. Scott Frank. He's the founding director of the MPH program here at Case Western and is faculty in the Department of Population and Quantitative Health Sciences. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew and Ibrahim. Great. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of you who might not know you? I am... Um, a family physician and public health uh, educator, researcher, and practitioner. Uh, the first thing I would say about myself is that I've been blessed to have a career during which I've been able to do what I love and love what I do. Um, uh, so uh, I have um, been a practicing family doctor. I've been the director of a local health department in Shaker Heights, Ohio for 25 years. Uh, and um, uh, an educator in both family medicine and public health here at the uh, School of Medicine, um, uh, believe it or not, since 1982. Uh, so I've been here a long time um, uh, and uh, have loved my uh, tenure here. Great. Um, so it's, it's challenging, as, as you know, to, to speak about public health right now without thinking about it in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that we have found ourselves in. And you yourself have, have a pretty interesting take on COVID-19 as, as you um, had it. Um, yes. Could you tell, tell us about, about that? So uh, let me first talk a little bit about my professional interest uh, around COVID and then uh, get on to the personal side. Um, uh, from the professional side, I have a strong interest in the emergency response to COVID in and of itself. Um, as director of a local health department, I was very much involved in uh, planning for emergency preparedness uh, and setting up systems to prevent some of the very issues that we've uh, had uh, developed uh, uh, during COVID. Um, uh, one of the issues that um, I try to emphasize in my teaching that hasn't been much attended to uh, in this uh, pandemic is the issue of community resilience and um, uh, setting communities up for success rather than failure uh, as they um, uh, weather the storm uh, of COVID-19. That's a reasonable comparison because um, we're also weathering storms. Hurricane Sally and we don't see the protests about civil liberties being taken away when Hurricane Sally hits the coast and evacuations are ordered that we see uh, around um, uh, COVID and mask wearing and sheltering in place. But uh, uh, the community disaster uh, piece of it is uh, directly uh, relevant. Um, so beyond um, uh, the emergency uh, preparedness response, um, I uh, have been involved in teaching emergency preparedness here in our program to students, um, starting with uh, an educational tabletop exercise, pandemic tabletop exercise that uh, I first implemented back in 2008. So um, 
well ahead of uh, any uh, of the pandemics that we've experienced. And um, uh, it was first developed for the School of Medicine and later applied in our public health program um, uh, several times a year. And uh, it's been a robust way to teach students about the complexity uh, and chaos associated with um, uh, pandemic, uh, which we've experienced in real life uh, recently. It was a pleasure just um, last week to um, do a new version of the tabletop exercise that was specifically designed for COVID-19 and relitigation of um, uh, the COVID experience. Um, uh, in this case, we didn't need to teach people about the chaos and complexity of the response they've seen it for themselves uh, so how could it have been done differently and we did it virtually and it was uh, pretty amazing um, uh, the next of my areas of primary interest with COVID-19 revolve around uh, COVID-19 and the excess uh, deaths in the minority communities um, uh, the systemic racism that has had a, a light shown on it um, uh, with uh, uh, COVID and with the intersection of uh, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, and the excess deaths in the minority community from COVID. Um, finally, the last thing that I'll mention uh, is uh, an interest in uh, domestic violence in COVID. Shelter-in-place is a necessary um, uh, procedure to limit the spread of COVID, uh, but uh, there have been anticipated but unintended consequences of that policy. That includes mental health issues, suicides, uh, more substance abuse, and more domestic violence. Uh, for several years, I've been working with an interprofessional team of faculty here at CASE on tech solutions to support those at risk for domestic violence, and that's been um, uh, amplified through um, uh, the COVID experience. So that's the professional side. Uh, personally, um, on uh, July 8th, uh, in the midst of the MPH annual retreat, I started uh, feeling some pain in my back and muscle pains. and. Uh, those who were observant during that call might have noticed that I started standing up and pacing around the, the room a little bit, and I didn't really think anything of it. Um, uh, went uh, down after the, uh, uh, the retreat and helped my wife, um, uh, Jean, uh, who works here at Case Western Reserve in the Prevention Research Center for Healthy Neighborhoods, make enchiladas. Uh, we made the enchiladas. I ate the enchiladas, and that was it for me. Uh, uh, I, it was clear by the end of dinner that I was developing a fever. I went up to uh, my room and essentially didn't leave it for um, more than 10 days uh, after that. Um, uh, I uh, experienced uh, very high fevers. Um, my temperature topped out at, uh, recorded uh, temperature topped out at 105.5. Um, uh, I had uh, 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 shaking, racking, chills, um, uh, sweats, uh, uh, hallucinations, um, uh, and my case was primarily characterized by severe abdominal pain, 
uh, some vomiting uh, and severe, um, and I don't mean to get too graphic here, but uh, bloody diarrhea uh, that occurred uh, over a five-day period of time at least. Um, uh, I didn't notice severe shortness of breath, um, uh, but uh, I also was confined to my room and not challenging my respiratory capacity. Um, uh, and uh, I also had some neurological symptoms um, uh, beyond uh, headache, which was very prominent. Um, uh, I had some eye muscle weakness and visual effects that um, uh, still um, are issues for me today. Um, I, so I did um, recover, uh, and um, uh, I would say that my case um, by some may have been deemed mild. Uh, to me, it was at least moderate. I suspect that if I had actually gone to the emergency room with that level of fever, with bloody diarrhea, and with what I now anticipate my uh, oxygen level would have been uh, at the time, it's likely that I would have been admitted uh, from my own medical point of view. Um, uh, but I have to say, as a doctor, I hate hospitals, and I'm very happy that I wasn't admitted. Uh, so. <laughs> I weathered it out at home. Uh, probably the most important thing to me is that I did not spread it to any of my family members. Uh, my wife and two adult children were living with me. Uh, I basically was in my room. They set my food outside my door, um, masked as they did it, and uh, I picked it up after they left and uh, had a bathroom right off of the bedroom. So um, I was isolated, uh, fully isolated for that time. Um, uh, when I got out of isolation, I had a, a little bit of what I would think of as a honeymoon period. I noticed um, uh, pretty quickly that um, minor physical exertion caused short of breath, shortness of breath, just going up and down the stairs in our house, walking out to the uh, garden in our backyard, uh, I would feel short of breath, um, uh, but didn't think much of it. Um, uh, but uh, that continued to worsen, uh, and uh, I had a, a recurrence of uh, what I think of as post-COVID symptoms. Uh, these symptoms um, we now know are quite common. Up to 60% of uh, COVID sufferers have symptoms uh, of COVID-related um, uh, um, uh, issues that uh, uh, go on for uh, sometimes long periods of time, um, uh, at least uh, three months. Um, uh, so. Uh, I started experiencing those to a greater and greater degree. Um, I uh, developed an understanding of what I thought of as the 60-90 rule. Um, uh, I felt uh, good um, about, uh, I, I felt about 90% capability much of the time, but the more I acted like my capability was 90%, the more it would fall to 60%. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, it was pretty predictable that when I overdid, um, I paid for that uh, uh, by um, uh, feeling worse. Uh, so, um, it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, it's been a very nonlinear process of recovery, um, uh, such that uh, uh, I've thought I was getting better, uh, only to fall off and overall. The slope is going up, but it's a jagged curve as, uh, as I improve. Last week, I actually had the worst week since the infection itself. Um, 
uh, and what felt almost like a recurrence of the um, uh, of the condition, though without fever, uh, with some return of the abdominal pain, visual symptoms, uh, and what I discovered uh, um, uh, in my post-COVID um, uh, condition um, uh, with a pulse oximeter is that I'm one of the uh, fairly large number of people who have had persistent hypoxia, which is a low blood oxygen, uh, since that time. Uh, my baseline prior to uh, uh, COVID was 98 or 99 as a lifelong non-smoker and healthy individual, uh, but now my baseline runs um, 90 to 93, and when I drop into the 80s, I become less and less functional. The lower it gets, the less functional I am. Um, uh, so uh, uh, that's uh, my COVID uh, story, and uh, uh, I will add uh, to that that um, uh, people often wonder how I got it. Uh, Me Too um, uh, is my um, uh, main response to that, but uh, I have to say I uh, practiced um, great with great precaution, uh, never unmasked in the public, always washing hands both before and after uh, going out. Um, uh, so um, uh, looking back on it, I had one day where I um, uh, went out of the house to do um, uh, three or four errands and was in three or four uh, public places. Again, masked all the time, hand washing but other people were not. So uh, my uh, COVID is a result of other people not taking precautions. Um, uh, and uh, while I recognize my own um, culpability in going out of the house to begin with, uh, if everybody was taking the same precautions that I was when I went out, uh, I'm certainly convinced I would have never developed the condition. Well, that's, that. I'm glad that you're okay, uh, that you weren't hospitalized, um, and that you're continuing to be on the mend, and we all hope that that trend continues. Um, this does bring me to my next question, though. We've, we've been practicing precautions for months, since March. Uh, and in fact, you know, it's, it's now the end of September, and we are recording this episode in person, but socially distanced and masked. Uh, do you think that the precautions that we've been taking are enough um, or you know does the secret lie with not enough people taking the bare minimum or doing doing the least that they can do which is to wear a mask and socially distant i i think our um, handling of um, the the covid pandemic has been uh, really damaged by mixed messages uh, throughout the uh, experience and uh, when I say that, people naturally um, tend to think of the political mixed messages, and those are perhaps the most important of the uh, mixed messages, and particularly coming from a federal level, um, uh, the mixed messages are extreme. But even in Ohio, um, the messages were quite unified and consistent when Amy Acton was still in place as the uh, Director of Health and Manager of the uh, pandemic response. Um, I have to say since she left that position, uh, the decisions made seem to have been less uh, scientifically based and less um, uh, consistent with uh, the uh, true public health uh, approach. So I think 
we know what to do, we knew what to do uh, to a large extent before it happened at all, uh, but um, the mixed messages um, uh, give permission to people uh, who don't want to comply uh, to, uh, to uh, in fact, not do so. Um, I will say that we bear some responsibility scientifically as well. I'm sure that many of you remember that when the pandemic first started, um, people were told masks don't make a difference. Uh, in fact, don't buy uh, masks because we need them for the health professionals on the front lines. We don't have enough PPE for them. Don't um, uh, put them at risk by uh, purchasing masks that uh, should be going to our frontline workers. And uh, while I'm sympathetic with that message, um, it does point out some of the dilemmas of science, and that is um, uh, that that was traditional wisdom coming into this pandemic, um, uh, but in the context of this pandemic, science advanced, and we did uh, test and determine that masks were effective. Even then, at first we said it's only effective at protecting other people and not yourself, which turned out to be wrong again. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, masks are very protective of developing disease yourself. Um, uh, but most effective when uh, others are masked and you are masked. So it both protects others and yourself. But that wasn't the message we gave at first. And I still hear people <laughs> saying that um, you know, masks only protect other people. Not true at all. Uh, so these scientific mixed messages have been weaponized against uh, public health and, uh, uh, and not thought of as advanced in science, but as... Um, uh, lack of transparency or um, being lied to either earlier or now about the effectiveness of masks. Do you think that public health bears some responsibility to better inform the public about how our understanding of these things can evolve, uh, how um, what can appear to be or what really are mixed messages aren't uh, a lack of transparency or an attempt to um, control people, uh, government control, conspiracy, whatever, um, it, does the onus lie on us as public health to, to uh, best educate the public on these things? Yes, it does. Um, and I'll repeat that I think in Ohio, um, uh, we did a, a really good job of that when we had a, a compassionate public health professional as the lead spokesperson uh, for the state of Ohio. Um, uh, but even then, people hear what they want to hear, and uh, uh, a major part of the reason she left that position, we all presume, uh, were uh, protests that were going on outside her home, uh, death threats, and uh, uh, all sorts of uh, negative um, uh, actions from uh, the anti-mask uh, faction of the uh, U.S towards her and the anti-shutdown uh, proportion of Ohioans uh, toward her. Uh, so even when we were effectively communicating things, or more effectively communicating things, at least um, uh, communication has to be a two-way street. People have to receive as well as uh, uh, public health needing to effectively broadcast. Um, the less effective we are at broadcasting, the larger that group of people may be who uh, don't receive the important messages uh, uh, and view it as uh, non-transparent. 
Dr. Franker, um, emer emergency issues that's happened, and just like COVID-19, what do you think will be the best way to deal with mixed messages? Should the government have like a one system that um, provide information and clear information for the public? Um, that's a great question, Ibrahim, uh, and I think uh, the dilemma is that long before COVID um, uh, came to the U.S. or started in China as a novel uh, virus, um, uh, the, the, there was uh, what we could think of as an epidemic of science denial uh, that has been occurring, uh, probably best uh, exemplified because of climate change. Um, uh, you know, if one looks at the science, there is no question that climate change is um, uh, one of the very most important worldwide problems. Um, in fact, if uh, I had been asked prior to uh, all of this uh, happening with COVID, what keeps you up at night, um, uh, what I would have said would be novel infections and climate change. Um, uh, so the science denial was already prominent uh, in the population uh, and has been emboldened uh, by um, uh, political um, uh, actors um, uh, who have been uh, seeking to, um, from my perspective, enrich themselves at the uh, expense of, um, of the nation. Uh, so uh, it becomes a, a major problem. Uh, one presumes with a change of political leadership that it would be an easier thing to give unified messages but it's become clear that there will still be a portion of the U.S. that is resistant to hearing and acting on those messages, even when it is presented in a unified fashion. How can we combat this anti-science bias of um, a large proportion of the U.S. population? I, is, is part of it the politically polarized times that we're in, that to, to some extent, uh, to either believe or not believe science is a political choice and, and not an intellectual choice? Uh, will this, is this something that will ebb and flow? So I, I think we can look to uh, our own public health um, uh, knowledge to help explain some of this. Um, the first thing I'll mention in that regard is um, uh, you know, something that was described in, uh, I want to say, the late 1960s, uh, referred to as the prevention paradox. Uh, Jeffrey Rose uh, uh, described this prevention paradox uh, by pointing out that um, uh, in order for preventive um, uh, intervention to work, many, many people may, uh, must be involved in order to benefit a few. So if we we're to think about um, uh, the New York City issue of Big Gulp drinks, um, everybody has to be excluded from Big Gulp drinks in order for the few people who are at highest risk from using those big gulp dreams, drinks to benefit through decreased obesity or diabetes. Um, uh, so we're in the same position with COVID now, and that is uh, that there are large segments of the population that are at lower risk for uh, developing the infection or dying from the infection or having a serious case of the infection if they catch it. Um, uh, those are the uh, young adults who've been, uh, from my perspective, among the uh, most common scoff laws as it relates to mask wearing and uh, gathering in uh, uh, social 
gatherings where uh, COVID is likely to be spread. Um, uh, they seem to ignore the idea that um, uh, even though they don't get it, um, uh, they may spread it to others. Um, they do spread it to others. It's, there's no may about it. Um, uh, and uh, uh, that prevention paradox um, made it predictable that these sorts of problems would happen. I wouldn't say that we would have predicted they would happen to the degree that they have, and pointing this out from the beginning might have been a way to help prevent it from uh, happening to the same degree. The other principles of public health that I think are uh, useful to uh, keep in mind um, uh, involve uh, the health belief model. Um, as those in public health will remember, the health belief model um, uh, states that um, uh, the extent to which people act on uh, public health information uh, is interpreted through the lens of uh, their perception of how severe the problem is and how susceptible they are to the problem. Um, and so for young adults, uh, many believe that um, uh, COVID is neither severe because it doesn't affect severely either them or really, for most part, anybody they know. Um, uh, and uh, they uh, view themselves as not susceptible. So uh, again, it's sort of natural that they don't view it as severe and they don't view themselves as susceptible uh, they're less likely to act on the restrictions uh, that we recommend. The other side of the health belief model are the uh, benefits and barriers, uh, and we've tried to communicate the benefit of not infecting other people, uh, not getting the infection themselves, pointing out uh, young people who have had uh, death and serious illness as a result of it. Uh, but again, nobody they know, so uh, they tend not to act on it. And then the barriers, the primary barrier, has turned out to be this, um, uh, from my perspective, false flag of civil liberties. Um, uh, and uh, it's been pointed out again and again uh, that um, there are all sorts of um, restriction of uh, civil liberties in the, the law from uh, seat belts to uh, smoking in public places um, uh, that uh, uh, are imposed for the good of the many um, uh, that uh, also affect the choices uh, of uh, some who would rather not uh, act on those um, uh, restrictions. Uh, but. Um, uh, it's been less than successful in pointing this out. Dr. Frank, if you were the director of the Ohio Department of Health, what would have you done in state, county, and local, and, and federal level to, to be changed differently or to be addressed differently? So I think um, that there are a number of things that I would point to. The first we've been talking about, and that is the quality of the communication that's, um, uh, that's gone on. Um, uh, the quality of the communication has not been um, uh, good, especially uh, since the efforts to, um, uh, to create the economic reopening that began in June and have been going on since that time. It was more important than ever to communicate effectively as the reopening was occurring, uh, but I would say from what I listen to and read, um, uh, the quality of that communication has gone downhill uh, rather than, uh, than going up. Um, uh, uh, so improving the quality of communication, which can be done, 
uh, on a, a state level. I have to say, um, uh, and uh, state strongly, that I believe this hasn't been true in Cuyahoga County. I think that uh, our uh, Cuyahoga County Board of Health and Cleveland Department of Health have done um, uh, a, a very um, a laudable job of communicating what's happening in Cuyahoga County. And at some level, that's all we can control is what's happening in Cuyahoga County. Um, uh, but they're swimming upstream against um, uh, lower quality communication that's happening at multiple other levels, uh, both state and federal at, uh, at this point. Um, again, mixed messages uh, at the state level um, uh, make it much more difficult to um, effectively state our case. Um, uh, the second point I would make um, is that there is a need to um, both identify and emphasize risk populations and provide um, both protection and hazard pay to essential workers uh, and uh, greater protections to neighborhoods that are at risk uh, than have been uh, implemented uh, so far. Um, I would also um, uh, have emphasized the value of testing and contract, uh, contact tracing. Um, uh, the uh, Cuyahoga County folks have done a good job of uh, doing that, um, uh, but other countries, as they do the testing and contact tracing, for example, assign case managers to all symptomatic COVID cases uh, to uh, help um, uh, reduce the spread uh, and uh, decrease the uh, consequences of the the COVID. Uh, finally, I would also emphasize active epidemiologic research, which we're trying to do here at Case and in Cuyahoga County. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, um, uh, again, locally, uh, we're doing a reasonable job with that. So what about us on a personal level? How do we communicate and try to share best practices with our friends and our family and our personal circles about how to best prevent COVID-19. We can have folks officially uh, from the top down um, telling the public what to do and what not to do. Uh, how do we have that conversation with our relatives um, around the table at a holiday if, if we're able to gather in groups um, anytime soon uh, for holidays that, uh, you know, my you know, uh, this relative, you really should be wearing a mask when you go out in public, and here's why. How do we have those conversations? So, um, uh, again, going back to public health theory, it's reasonable to think about the stages of change. Um, uh, we think of the stages of change as uh, pre-contemplative, contemplative, contemplative uh, action, uh, uh, determination and action, with relapse being the next stage of, uh, of change. Uh, but many um, of the um, uh, non-maskers uh, are truly pre-contemplative, um, which is to say they don't even contemplate wearing a mask. Um, uh, that may be true among your relatives as well. If um, someone is pre-contemplative, switching them to action um, uh, immediately uh, rarely works. Uh, so. Um, helping them move from um, pre-contemplation to contemplating mask wearing or social distancing um, is the step that we ought to be engaging in uh, and offering to continue dialogue that might help them move from contemplation to, de to determination to action. Um, 
uh, and helping someone move from pre-contemplative to uh, contemplative rarely um, uh, works uh, involving insults um, uh, and uh, orders, um, uh, but uh, uh, rather than pushing them to change, calling them to change um, uh, would be a way to do it. Um, uh, for example, a family with a young uh, child um, uh, may say uh, that um, you can make the choices you want, but uh, you're not going to be around my child until um, uh, you're complying with the, uh, uh, the mask restrictions and social distancing restrictions that I'm assured will keep my family healthy. That's, uh, it's probably safe to say that arguing with strangers on social media probably doesn't do anybody any favors, <laughs> as tempting as that can be. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, so now that you are ideally, you know, sort of on the other side, coming out of the woods uh, from your own experience with COVID-19, uh, any words of advice for, for folks who are <laughs> in the woods themselves right now? So, heavy sigh. Um, uh, I, I will acknowledge that um, uh, I retired from clinical practice uh, almost two years ago now, uh, but when I was a practicing family physician, I was a regional expert on a condition um, often referred to as chronic fatigue syndrome, sometimes chronic fatigue and immune deficiency syndrome, uh, and sometimes though it's a little bit different, uh, myalgic um, encephalomyelitis. Um, uh, these conditions share many of the symptoms that occur post-COVID, uh, but they are different. Um, uh, they may each represent some form of post-viral uh, syndrome, um, uh, and uh, as an expert in that area, uh, one of the um, most uh, difficult things that I needed to do uh, was get patients to trust me because they had been abused so often by the healthcare system before. Doctors not believing, uh, telling them that it was a mental health problem and not a physical problem, uh, and um, uh, doing unnecessary testing and uh, uh, pointing out that um, uh, those tests then were negative. Um, uh, so. Uh, I didn't do that. I worked with uh, patients uh, on multiple levels to help them cope with the uh, problems they were having. So it is an irony to me that I'm now in a similar position myself, uh, trying to follow my own advice and uh, struggling at times uh, to, uh, to do so. Um, uh, so the advice might be to be uh, patient with yourself um, uh, and to um, assure uh, that um, you recognize the need to heal um, uh, and that healing uh, takes time and uh, uh, pointing out that the root meaning of the word heal is whole so seeking to find ways to feel more whole um, uh, to cope with your new normal um, uh, is um, uh, truly uh, part of what has to happen. What we don't know is whether these post-COVID symptoms will disappear at three months, at four months, at six months, or whether they'll be persistent um, or um, uh, relapsing. One of the um, uh, characteristics of uh, viruses uh, is that uh, we don't kill viruses in our body. We capture viruses and keep them prisoner in cells. And when the 
prison um, uh, guards uh, let down their uh, vigilance. Uh, uh, the uh, virus, like prisoners, can escape from the cells and create a whole new set of symptoms, like with shingles or uh, herpes, um, oral or genital herpes, uh, uh, the infection recurs. We don't know whether uh, COVID will be a recurring uh, virus, um, uh, but uh, there are some indications that that may be possible. Dr. Frank, how does COVID-19 fit into the context of other diseases? disease outbreaks throughout the history? Uh, I don't think we really know the answer to that yet. Um, you know, it is a novel virus and, uh, uh, you know, just to tick off a few things that we have learned since its inception that we were not aware of and didn't even know to look for, um, uh, the extent of uh, damage to heart muscle um, uh, is um, unique to COVID. Uh, the uh, prolonged hypoxemia following uh, the acute infection um, is uh, unique to COVID. Um, uh, uh, there are uh, neurological um, uh, symptoms and uh, uh, molecular things going on that are um, uh, not yet fully described. Uh, the blood clotting, um, uh, you know, these are all things that we've discovered since uh, COVID um, uh, revealed itself, and uh, I'm confident that uh, we'll discover much more, that some of the things we think we know now will turn out to have been false, and other things um, uh, that we still are not aware of will become uh, clear. So uh, we really need to um, keep our eye on the ball in terms of the science uh, of the uh, COVID experience uh, in ways that can help us better respond to it. Do you think, um, you know, public health as a discipline, it, will, will COVID sort of be seen as a, as a, a turning point or almost like a, a benchmark along the way of public health as a, as a discipline? You kind of think about something like um, national security having a pre-9-11 and post-9-11 context. Is public health going to have a, a pre-COVID-19 and a post-COVID-19 approach to things? If we don't, we'll, it will be an abject failure. Um, there's no question that uh, the 1918 Spanish flu uh, epidemic changed um, medicine forever. Um, it advanced the field of medicine, um, uh, but less so the field of public health. Um, uh, and not at all so uh, the social issues of the day that contributed to uh, a worse experience with the uh, uh, Spanish influenza than they would have had without those social issues. Um, so from my perspective, it is our challenge uh, in the midst of this COVID uh, experience uh, to make sure that society makes progress in terms of uh, elevating public health as the most effective way to uh, deal with, um, uh, uh, with health um, uh, uh, disasters, emergencies uh, such as COVID. Um, uh, you know, it, it makes me sad to say that COVID is not likely to be the last pandemic and how long COVID will last um, at this point is anybody's guess, but avian influenza is not less likely to happen now that COVID has occurred. And frankly, avian influenza could be worse than COVID. So um, I don't mean to say this to panic people, but to say that we have to advance um, the funding 
uh, and uh, influence of public health if we have any chance of coping with a world uh, that will continue to have um, uh, be at risk for uh, further pandemics. To say that this is a 100-year pandemic is wishful thinking. We don't know when the next pandemic will come or how severe it will be. Um, the other thing that we will have been a failure if we don't advance um, uh, is uh, uh, the community resilience that I mentioned earlier and the um, uh, ability of um, uh, communities to cope with health issues well beyond COVID. Um, uh, the health inequities in this country uh, paralyze our healthcare system, result in uh, poorer health outcomes in the United States than uh, almost any other uh, developed nation, uh, despite the very high quality of our uh, healthcare system. Uh, the fact that we don't invest in public health um, keeps us from uh, uh, from having better health outcomes, and the way in which that is um, uh, most dramatically expressed is in health inequities among minorities uh, and the poor. Um, you were interviewed um, a couple of months ago for an article in The Atlantic, correct, sort of about the, the um, health disparities surrounding COVID-19. Are, are you hopeful that we as a society can use this pandemic as a teachable moment to improve these things? Yeah, I am. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I will acknowledge that uh, it, um, first of all, uh, depends on a change in uh, leadership at the national level. Um, uh, that I have no question that the uh, current executive office uh, of the United States government is unlikely to address those issues in any meaningful way. Um, uh, I will acknowledge that if there is a change in uh, leadership at the top, it will take avid advocacy to push the new administration to make these same changes that we have seen um, ignored in the past or not uh, accomplished to the degree that they need to be accomplished in the past. I believe that the experience both with uh, COVID uh, and with science denial uh, and climate change and with um, uh, systemic racism, uh, these um, uh, differing um, public health crises that are all uh, convergent, uh, that it gives us a chance to make a bigger difference uh, on each of those issues. Um, any improvements we make should be directed at improving all of those crises simultaneously rather than treating them uh, as uh, different problems. They are all interrelated. Great. Um, I think this is probably an appropriate um, way to, to wrap things up. The, one of our last questions was going to be, um, what has the pandemic taught the field of public health and what are the takeaways for us? And I, I think we've sort of pretty well covered that. I, I do yes. have um, uh, one other thing that uh, I want to say, and uh, some of uh, the students in our program have heard me talk about this, uh, but um, uh, that is that uh, if we're really going to make progress in order to do the things that we were just talking about, um, uh, we need to orient ourselves towards healing as a nation. Um, uh, this isn't a problem to be solved or managed, it's a problem that needs healing. And uh, uh, healing has um, uh, certain characteristics in the biology of healing uh, that are helpful to learn from um, uh, as we address the 
multiple crises that face us now. And I'm just going to run through these really quickly, um, uh, but happy to talk more about it with anybody who's interested. The first is the need to acknowledge the wound, and we see the problems that have happened with the uh, not uh, with not acknowledging the wound. Uh, the next step is to stop the bleeding. Again, uh, the opportunity to be transparent and stop the bleeding by sharing honest um, uh, facts about the pandemic um, worsened the wound. Um, the next is to protect the integrity of the system, which is to say, in this case, uh, not politicizing it, not making it a partisan issue, would have been part of it, uh, protecting the integrity. What the body does is sends white blood cells and immune uh, molecules to the site of the wound in order to protect the, the body from infection that could be introduced by the, the wound. Uh, the next step is to examine the wound, and in doing so, think not about what caused the wound, but, what about, but about what the wound causes in you. And I can't state that strongly enough, that uh, we shouldn't be focusing on COVID that caused the wound, but what COVID reveals about us as a nation and as, and, and as individuals uh, uh, as we seek to heal from that wound. Then we need to restore equilibrium. We're not there yet. Um, the body has a, a process of restoring uh, equilibrium when, uh, when we're wounded. Um, we have not acted uh, in a way that allows us to reach that uh, stage of restoration of equilibrium yet. We need to get there. And the uh, last of the uh, steps of biology in healing a wound is to scar, to patch the wound. Um, uh, and uh, we will scar as a result of uh, this uh, COVID experience. Uh, what we need to do then is what the body does, and that is revise the scar, um, uh, change the scar so that it lessens in its um, intensity and appearance, uh, but remains in a way that we can learn from it and learn to embrace the scar because who we are is how we have healed. We are all the sum total of the different wounds that we've experienced through our lives, and as we heal from those wounds, uh, we do so in ways that make us better people or in ways that diminish who we are. Uh, thank you for that insight. As everyone who knows you knows, uh, you have a, a great way with words and thank you for sharing them with us. Dr. Frank, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Ibrahim, thank you, of course. Um, and to everyone out there listening, uh, just remember, public health matters. <laughs>